Your Money or Your Mind, we are going to talk dollars and cents today with Amy Serka, who is a money confidence coach. You're listening to Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Designing a new home to be your family's sanctuary can feel impossible during the stress of moving. In this podcast, interior designer Jill Kalman shares practical advice, design wisdom, and lifestyle tips for anyone moving to a new home. You'll learn all about the psychology of a well-designed home and how to survive the move and thrive in your new life. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to a home you love to come back to every single time. Here's your host, Jill Kalman. My accessory course has finally launched. It is here. So to grab it, you can go to my website and click on course. Or if you go to my Instagram page, click the link in bio. That's right. I'm bringing it to you because over the last several years, it has been one of the top requested things that I get asked. And it just so happens it's what I'm really passionate about and what I've always loved to do. I always felt like your home wasn't fully dressed until I brought in that last layer and I loved doing it and I love styling for my photo shoots and most of the time I bring in all the accessories and get everything styled for a photo shoot. Guess what? The client wants to keep it all. Well, I'm going to show you my secrets, my tips, my tricks. It's going to be in a really simple video course broken up into modules that are going to be easy for you to get resources, solutions, and really quick wins at an affordable price, all with direction from me. So you can have your home looking like those sitting in a magazine or how I set them up for photo shoots really easily. I'm super excited. So if you're scratching your head about what to put on your coffee table, what to put on your mantle, how to arrange it, what to put in your bookcases, You're going to want to go click that link in bio and get this course at a very affordable price. I hope to see you there. So as I mentioned, we are going to talk to Amy Serka today. Amy is a money confidence coach, and I thought it was really important to bring a money confidence coach on to talk about all the things because let's face it, purchasing a home is one of the biggest, if not the biggest purchase that you and your family will make. And there's a lot of issues that come up with money between couples and just, you know, all of us have different sets of values and how we perceive money. And so we're going to get into it today about mindset and money and scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. We're going to talk about when you and your partner come from totally different views about money and how you can compromise. All these things are really important because Buying the home is the first step and it's the biggest purchase, but once you get into the home, there's a lot of ongoing expenses and ongoing goals that you'll have, and those are big investments as well. So trying to reach and accomplish those goals are really important and can leave you really stuck if you don't do some of this work that Amy's talking about. She does help families master their money, and her principles and style of teaching allow you to create the financial life you dream of without having to skimp and without having to just never see your family because you're working 80 hours to support this particular lifestyle. So she believes you can improve your life while also improving your finances. So this is a jam-packed episode of details that you're not going to want to miss. So grab your cup and join us at the table for the conversation. Thanks for being here. Here we go. Hi, Amy. It's great to have you with me today. I am so glad to be here. Thank you, Joe. This is going to be great. So 
I'm going to let you introduce yourself a little bit. I know you refer to yourself as a money confidence coach and you deal a lot with money mindset, which we're going to get into today. But if you want to just give a brief introduction to yourself, to the audience, we'll start there and then we'll dig right in. I have so many good questions for you today. I can't wait. Yeah. So like you said, my name's Amy. I'm a money confidence coach. I'm married to my best friend. I know it's cliche. Uh, We have three children. I'm a dog mom, all those things. We homeschool and I've been in the personal finance industry for nine years. So Mm. we've seen a little bit of things. It's kind of evolved the capacity that I've been in. And I think that's going to play an important role in our conversation today. So I'm really excited about it. Me too. Yeah. So let's dig in what I wanted to start with, because I kind of feel like it's the foundation for what happens. And it's things that like we don't even realize, but we all have money beliefs that we come into a partnership with that we don't, we may not even realize. Right. And so what I mean by that is like, we all have a value with money. So like what might be expensive to me could be inexpensive to you. And what's interesting about that is I think in my opinion, it's not directly correlated to how much money you have. I mean, I do think that as you begin to amass more money, maybe things feel more free to spend. But I do think we have some ingrained sort of values, right? That about money that can carry through a relationship. And it's important to sort of examine that, right? Definitely. And I think you nailed it. One of the most important parts of what we talk about and really where the breakthroughs happen when I'm working with clients, but it's the part that we can't tangibly touch. So we don't think about it as much. And again, you nailed it. We're two different people, especially like coming into relationships. I mean, we all have different money beliefs. We all have money mindset blocks, money mindset limitations, because A, we're human. Mm -hmm. We were raised by humans and there's humans that are influential in our life. So like, we're not perfect. We have things and I know our parents did the best that they could, Mm -hmm. but a lot of our money mindset beliefs are formed by the age of nine. And like you mentioned, it doesn't matter income level there. We all have them, but you can form negative money mindset beliefs. Even if you were raised in a household where like everything was perfect and there was enough money and all of those things Mm -hmm. was working with somebody. And she was like, I know it's cliche, but I really like, I don't have like any money mindset blocks. Like I've worked on this. There's really not any there. I didn't lack for anything growing up, but she Mm -hmm. grew up in another country. I think it was in Asia. And Mm -hmm. so the cost of everything was less in that country than it is here. So she struggled with spending money on herself because it felt like it was so much more expensive now than it was before. So mm. again, it doesn't really matter our circumstances, but we definitely all have different beliefs and different ways that we view things and different priorities, even things that help us feel secure and things that help us feel heard. And like that we are doing what we need to mm-hmm. can be totally different things for two different people. Yeah. And I even think status plays a role. Like sometimes people might want to spend their money on something that's status related or to sort of keep up if maybe wherever you live. And yet it might take away from something that's more of a priority, but there's an emotional connection to certain purchases or to many, if not all purchases. And so I see that play a role too, where it might be having a certain label of something, for example, right? Versus not, I don't know. And that, again, it doesn't really matter the background. That can be important to you because you had that growing up, or that could be important to you because you didn't have that growing up and you don't want that to 
like you never want to go back to that point. So you attain this and then we hold on to those statuses that we want to have. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's important to visit like within yourself to find that out. I mean, I think, so do you think a lot of our money mindset comes from how we were raised and our parents, or like you said, your parents might've raised you one way, but community and the society you were in at the time could also play a role. They both definitely play an important factor, really, like all of the high influential people. I normally mention our parents because our parents are definitely one of them. But most of us watch TV and media growing up. And if we take a look at like even Hollywood and a lot of those movies and stuff, there's money mindset or money things that are portrayed there. A lot of times like money is portrayed as evil. So if you think of like Scrooge, even like those things, and we don't even realize it's affecting us because it's kind of like the, oh, that's just the way it is. But it's those things that we have to come aware of. And again, it's not even really what happened. It's actually our perception of what happened because what, what like physical reality, what happened in the situation, it doesn't matter. It's how we perceived what happened in the situation. That's a super good point. I've got a crazy story from the past. It was one of my mindset blocks that like I had brought with me for years and we uncovered it was working with a coach and like we discussed this and it was something that happened, an interaction between me and my father, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, probably 20 years ago now. Yeah. I had a conversation with my mom because this was before they were divorced. And I was like, okay, I'm trying to figure out what happened here. I want to understand. So I told her what I remembered. She's like, Amy, that, that didn't happen because if it would have happened, like I would have been aware of that. So what I thought happened wasn't even what actually happened. Isn't that something? And yet you yep. hold onto that belief forever, probably. And that, yep. yeah, that, wow, that's amazing. No, it's really important to examine that. You bring up a very good point about social media. And I think especially for the younger generation, it's really easy to see you know, certain reality TV stars and things like that who have everything. And it was funny, like just as a quick example, I just read an article about like influencers with luxury goods. And it said like the real truth behind it is sometimes they'll order from a a luxury rental company to like get the bag and then they're returning it. Sometimes they buy something and they do an unboxing and then they return it. So whereas we just see them opening all this stuff and we're like, oh my God, they have so much, right? Or how did they get that? And I think for the younger generation, especially, it's really easy to scroll through these, you know, Instagram and TikTok and whatnot and see all these things and just feel like maybe frustrated or something, you know? Definitely. That highlight reel versus behind the scenes is so true. And that how does everybody else do it? It's probably one of the most common things that we hear, like in conversations, because we all feel that like, okay, we're looking at all of these different highlight reels, and they're able to do all these things. Like, how is that even possible? Right? Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty amazing. So I'm glad you brought the social media point, because that's a big, you know, part of our lives now. So let's talk about mindset. You know, there's scarcity mindset around money and there's abundance mindset. So you could probably define it better than me, but scarcity mindset, right, is when you're always feeling like you either don't have enough or won't have enough or you're sort of scared for that rainy day ahead. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good way to describe it, maybe. Yes, describe it. That's a good way to put it. So that scarcity is that there's never enough and we have to hold on to it. Now, there's a part and I think we're going to talk about this in a little bit about like being prepared and creating a lot of what I talk about is having financial security. So if something happens and there's a crisis that hits tomorrow and you lose all your income, like Mm -hmm. what are you going to do to take care of your family? Mm -hmm. Because there's a certain confidence that you have knowing like, okay, 
everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. This isn't going to be a problem, Mm -hmm. but we can definitely take it to an extreme. Like we're holding on to money and not wanting to spend things. If we find ourselves saying like, I can't afford it, it's not in the budget or even that it's just the way it is. That's a little bit of the scarcity mindset as well versus an abundance mindset, which we believe that there, there is enough money out there that we can have the things that we need to. We just need the plan mm-hmm. and really to stick with it long enough for it to work. That's so many of the things when it comes to like money habits and even investing, like it's, it's not an overnight thing. We have to have faith in the long run. Yeah. And really faith in yourself. Oh, completely. Is it fair to say that if you're somebody with a scarcity mindset, you're a better saver than someone with an abundance mindset? Like is the abundance mindset the spender and the scarcity mindset is the saver or not necessarily? Not necessarily. For like a scarcity mindset, give you a quick strategy here real quick. If you are somebody who's like holding on to things, this can also be somebody that you'll spend money like when you can get a deal because you can get more for your money, even if it's not something you necessarily need that whole Mm -hmm. like buy something on sale. So you save 40 bucks, but like you spent 60 on something you didn't need. Ah, Um, Those type of things. And the best way to really work on that is something it's called Wealth Wednesday. So every Wednesday, we talk about doing a random act of kindness for a stranger involving a financial exchange. So this can Mm be paying for somebody behind you, the drive-thru or I love doing that. I do that all the time. It's so much fun. (laughs) Another one that I really love, we call it reverse shoplifting. So you go (laughs) and you leave money. Typically for me, it's like a diaper box that we go and stick. And it doesn't have to be a lot. If money is actually tight, like even just one or $2 in the diaper box, like as a parent who has a kid in diapers still like... It's still nice. Like diapers are expensive and finding those little ways to start to release money Uh and slowly help yourself understand that like, okay, when I have more money, I'm going to be able to do more good. Like money is not evil. We can do more with it with the more money we have and being willing to let go of it. And I find when we start in that like little bits at a time, it's kind of easy to walk our way into that. Yeah. I mean, giving is a very rewarding thing. Like I actually like giving gifts better than receiving. Like I get really excited to give somebody a gift. I put a lot of thought in it. I love to have them open it. I love to give something meaningful and I like it better than when people give me a gift. I know that sounds funny, but I do. I just, I love giving. Like, I don't know. It's nice. Or like I said, I'll pay for like the coffee in the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru for the car behind me. So I'll just pay it forward sometimes. I just like doing it, but yeah. So that's interesting. So the thing is, it's very common. I'm assuming that you could have a couple where one has scarcity mindset and one has abundance mindset, right? Yes, because we're definitely separate. And even if we're both kind of working towards an abundance mindset, one of us is typically a spender and one of us is typically a saver. So yeah, we always have that to juggle. And do you want me to share some strategies on how we kind of help overcome some of those? Because yeah, okay, yeah. let's definitely talk because we're going to talk about, you know, money and relationships. And it's going to lead to, you know, for, with our audience here, they're making one of the largest, if not the largest purchases, which is real estate, their home. Yeah. And that's a big price tag. And so if two people are on opposite ends of the spectrum with that, it's challenging. Definitely. So one of the things that I call, like, I swear it's a marriage saver. Mm. We have his money to blow and her money to blow accounts. So this mm. is like, two parts of one of our specific categories in our budget, which we call Mm -hmm. our play category. Mm -hmm. But you both get an allotted amount of money to spend Mm -hmm. every single month on whatever the heck you want 
as long as it's legal, moral, and ethical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had to add that disclaimer in there. I was doing a talk at a marriage conference in February, and it just hit me like, oh my goodness, Like I can't be telling everybody to go do all these horrible things. That so. is funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it's your money to go spend on whatever you want. We'll put mm-hmm. it in a separate account. Mm-hmm. You can pull it out in cash if you want. The only hesitation we have with cash is once you spend it, we don't want to have that thought like, okay, I can just go pull more money out of the bank. Mm-hmm. So ideally, we both have like separate accounts. Credit unions are really great with working with you with no fees, but it's your money to go spend on whatever you want. You don't get to harass your spouse. If they want to save theirs, they can save theirs. If they want to spend theirs, they can spend theirs, and it doesn't matter. That's great. So in relationship to the large purchase, you know, like a house, if the couple needs to find compromise, what's the best way or just in general with it, you know, the other part is it's not just buying the house from my end. What happens so often is they buy the house and the house remains empty because there hasn't really been a plan in place. And like anything else in life, particularly with financial stuff, for a big expense, like furnishing a home, you've got to plan for it. It's not going to happen. And there seem to be a lot of views about that where some people, you know, you may have a couple and one person is ready to get the whole house furnished. The other person wants to just do one room, you know, or one person believes they should buy this type of furniture. The other believes they should spend less. What's the best way just with, you know, joint purchases where two people are coming in with two very different points of views to find the compromise and the balance to get get the goals accomplished, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it's going to come back to communication. But the first part really of what we, when we're talking about our communication is one of the five strategies that I talk about with stop fighting with your spouse about money is (laughs) understanding what is. And what I mean with that is looking at your spouse, your significant other, they are not trying to hurt you. Like looking at their intention, they are walking into this with their beliefs, just like you are. And their intention is not to hurt you or to not hear you and for you not to feel heard. This is not done out of like a malicious intent. Mm. They are walking into this like with their own perception. Mm. And if we simply approach this from a place like understanding that like, okay, we're not trying to hurt each other. We both have different values and we just need to kind of lay them all out and have a conversation without feeling the judgment. I find it's best kind of like to do a almost like a brain bump type thing where we're just yeah. like going to talk. We're not making any decisions right now. We are just writing this out. Like this is important to me and telling them why. Like, okay, yeah. I want to have this because growing up, we didn't have this and I saw how messed up it got quickly. So you're looking maybe at like you want a leather couch because you can tell it'll be more of a long-term investment versus, I don't know, do we do cloth anymore on couches? But yes, a lot actually, but yes. <laughs> okay. You can tell how fashion forward I am like that. But That's okay. But I get what you're saying, like the expensive couch versus the not so expensive one. Yeah. Right. And seeing the reasoning behind it. And often when we lay these things out like this, and if we've written it all down and you can visually see it, you're not trying to remember not to pick on the guys, but we all know that like, I swear their program was short-term memory loss. Um, <laughs> so if it's written down, maybe it'll help them remember. I know I have to do that for my husband, but like th- once you take that moment and you write everything down and you can kind of look at it, it seems so much more objective. Mm-hmm. And I'd come back another day to make a decision or at least like take a break for a couple hours and then come back and look at it because you can look at it objectively without feeling that emotional charge. And then 
most of the time we can make rational decisions because, okay, we do love this person. If this is so important to them, like, okay, we can make this happen. Yeah. No, I think having the conversation and knowing like you sort of set the time for when this isn't the decision-making conversation. This is literally just the conversation. But I think that making time for that conversation is important because a lot of times people like couples that I've met might not have had the conversation until I'm there. You know, that's not great. And if that's the thing, then just say, we need to get back to you. And then they have to have the conversation then after I go, because that's an important conversation for sure. And what I hear a lot too is, it's different with like a house, but with home furnishings, people really don't know what things cost. So like one of the things I've done is I created a free budget sheet for people. So they have like a range and I also have like a good exercise people can do. But I think when people don't know what things cost, they just know in their head, oh, it's expensive, meaning it's going to be a lot of yeah. money. Then things start to get really tense. And it's like, well, you went and bought the house, which is expensive. You buy other expensive things. And how, do, how were you able to do that? And in my eyes, you were able to do that because you planned, right? And maybe have the conversation. So yeah, that's really important. I, I love that the tip is sort of like have the conversation, but know that the parameter isn't like that's decision-making time. And then it leads to a fight because you feel yeah. like pressured. It's more like, no, like tell me how you feel and why that's really good. Yeah. Because like you said, it could be something like, well, when I grew up, it was like this. So it makes me feel X, you know, and your partner might be like, okay, that's really valid. Or, you know, we have X amount of kids in this house. And so if we don't get the playroom furnished, where are they going to go? I mean, it could be very practical things as well, you know? Right. No, that's really, really good. So another thing that comes up, whether this would fall under like overspending or whatever, but with homes, people... And people, some people don't realize this because somebody will be in like a really nice house, have really nice cars, maybe their kids are in private school, whatever. And so on the outside, it looks like they have plenty of money to really do whatever they want. But I've actually found that a lot of people buy a lot more house than they can really afford. And people have to be really careful of that because you and I are going to talk about pretty soon in the next few minutes about you know, buying a house isn't just like that initial price tag after the mortgage. There's like a lot of other costs. <laughs> so when you, we talk about anything about buying what you can afford, what are your tips on that with establishing budgets? I guess it would be. Definitely. So ideally, we have a rule that you don't purchase a home that's more than two times your annual income, okay. which a lot of people like... We can talk about that and starting off. And if you've like already made the purchase, like you're kind of stuck with the purchase, or if it's just not feasible with home prices, they are going up as of current, yeah. then like, it's just something to kind of look at. But there is a lot of status is the only word that's coming to mind right now yeah. with feeling that we have to do all this to show that we are kind of arrived that we're doing yeah. good. Yeah. There's and, a lot involved with, the, yeah, it's a big yeah. part of it, whether people realize it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it's going to go back to the mindset beliefs. And if we are in that moment, I think it's really important to sit down. And this is probably an exercise that both 
you and your spouse would do like separately. And then you come back together and kind of reevaluate together, like compare notes almost. Yeah. But we need to talk about your priorities. Like what is important to you yeah. and what is going to give you the most satisfaction? Like, do you want to be able to take more trips with your family? Do you want to make sure that you're able to entertain? Do you want to be able to give back to this organization? Do you want to be able to retire early? Do you want your kids to go to the private school? And looking at what is actually important, because yes, our house is our home and it's really important. But if we're buying a bigger home than we can afford, and it's not lining up with what our ultimate goal is, Uh then we're still not really serving us. And even if you do have that home, you're not going to feel as fulfilled as you would have if you want a little bit smaller home and you were able to focus more on your goals and your priorities. And if you're thinking like, I don't know what my goals are, you're actually not alone because so many of us, by the time we're adult age, we've kind of been told like, this is where we're stuck. And like, we have to go do this. And again, that's, this is the way it is. We forget how to dream like that and what this would look like. So a lot of times we walk through an exercise. So let's say your aunt, long lost aunt, like left you an inheritance of, I don't know, $10 million. And it's verified. It's actually legit. This isn't a scam. Like, what would you do? A lot of people think like they would quit their job and they would never go to work again. Yeah. I can tell you, you would get bored of that. So like, okay, what would you do every day? Would you work on a different place? Would you start a charitable organization giving back to like a cause in need? And like, really think through the exercise of like, okay, if I was doing exactly what I wanted to do and the money didn't matter, yeah, like what would give me that hope? And if it's a big house, then okay, do the big house. But for right. most of us, it's not just having a big house to have a big house. Yeah. And what's interesting, I saw this, I think it was like a little article the other day about it was showing how careful of the big house, because in X amount of years, you're going to have to get rid of so much you've accumulated because you're downsizing. And it's funny because my husband definitely had longer vision than I did. So when we bought the house we were in, it was perfectly adequate and fine at the time. But I always had a dream like, well, I think within five years, seven years, we'll probably go to a bigger house, like when the kids were little. And we didn't. And now I'm glad like I have one child about to go to college and one child that's finishing college. And this house is ample and yet it's manageable and I don't feel forced out of it at this stage of my life. And so like that long vision he had, I'm thankful for because I think it could have been easy to jump to a bigger house. And in the end, I wouldn't have been that happy because it would have been a lot more to take care of. And then something that I would have felt like I had to get out of. Yeah. Whereas I don't feel that way right now. There's no, there's not that pressure, I guess. Yeah. I definitely can get that. You know, it is true. I mean, I always, you know, I have clients who have very large homes. And the other thing that I find foolish is you have a really large, fancy home and empty rooms. Like if you're going to have a large home, go all in. You got to have a large home. You got to be able to heat it air condition it so it's comfortable, not that you're sacrificing. You have to have really comfy places to sit. It should be comfortable and beautiful. Like I'd rather have a small house that was totally decked out and charming and beautiful than a big house that was empty. That's all, you know, like from the two. So it's interesting. So I think that, yeah, budgeting and planning are a big thing because that's the biggest reason like 
my clients usually have empty rooms. And a lot of times, you know, they made the large home purchase. You are initially a little bit financially drained. But I think like anything else, the way you're prepared to pay the taxes and other things, you have to prepare, you know what, we're going to need X amount of money for some stuff to sit on and some beds to sleep in, right? And some carpeting and like, you know, people forget about window treatments, which are expensive. And if you move to a home with a lot of windows where the previous owner hasn't left you anything or they're just missing or it's a new build, you know, you need privacy. I mean, depending on how close you are to your neighbors. Yeah. Not knowing what things cost isn't good. You can easily find out what things cost, right? By doing a little research. Definitely. And I think that's going to go back to the visualization and seeing what you want that to look like, like get on Google and look at your favorite stores and kind of see like what the price range is on these things. I'm sure you can put together rooms like that and like just kind of eyeball it. Yeah. I mean, the other part I find is that once somebody finally takes the steps forward to do it, then they realize the value in it and they're like, Oh, wow. So sometimes to going back to our first question, we're like what we value and what we don't value. Sometimes you have to go through experiences, right? To figure out what you might value and what you don't. Yeah. Because I think those priorities also shift and change. For me as a young mom, I thought, oh, I have to have the bigger house and whatever. Now that I'm becoming like an empty nester, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like glad I didn't do it. You know, your priorities definitely change. Yep. And that goes back to the thinking long-term and kind of, there's something I typically start all of my talks like this. I'm like, we don't know what we don't know. Some of what we know isn't so, like, it's not true, right? We have to keep an open mind and open perspective and truly listen. And I think approaching this in the same type manner is going to be really important because you don't know if you like something until you kind of try it out. Yeah. I mean, and also back to the point with couples is that I think there's always a compromise that can be had. You just have to be open to it. Yeah. You know, you can't be so headstrong. You have to be open and it's a give and take. I even am a bit of a mediator with my clients in that once we get to the point where they have a budget and whatever, they might have very different views about taste, right? And what somebody wants as an aesthetic. So I listen to both and then I find like a middle road that people are both, you know, both people are happy with. And I think that with money, it's the same thing. I think it's about being heard. Like you, you struck on a really good chord. It's about being heard. And what's the why, what's the why for why you want that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think compromise is always the solution. You just have to be open to it and flexible to it, you know? Yes. And understanding where the other person is coming from. And even if you don't like physically like relate to it, keeping that open ear and actually listening to them instead of listening from what we call like our stories and our upbringing and the way that we are like that in and of itself is going to completely change the game when you have those conversations. Yeah. Also, you mentioned you should spend two times your annual income on your house. Do you think, I don't know if you know any statistics, I'm just curious, do more than half or do the majority of people typically spend more than that? Yes. I think it was like 98% was last time I heard we're pretty much maxed out whatever the mortgage lender says we can have, like we can do. We also oh, have wow. to think like the mortgage companies are still business. So like they're in it to make profits as well. And when you take out the bigger loan like that, they're going to make more off of you in interest. So it's not mm. necessarily just out of like the good of their heart that they're loaning you more money. Like there is something behind that. I mean, again, it's their 
their business, they're allowed to make profit. That's great. Cause if they weren't there, like most of us wouldn't be able to buy houses like sure. that, but yeah. it's important to understand like, okay, this is where this is coming from and this is why it's there. And again, just looking at it and making a note like, okay, is this smart for us long-term? Yeah. So like take it with a grain of salt. So do you think people spend three or four times their salaries easily on homes? Yes. I think the last statistic I heard was like three to three and a half times. Three and a half times. And you should really only be spending double. Yeah. That's really interesting. Right. And because I have found that a lot. And then, and then what happens then is, you know, there's pressure on other things that you may need, want. It causes more conflict. I just think all around, it tends to be a negative experience if you have overbought, let's call it. You know? Yeah. And I guess you could overbuy on pretty much anything. Basically. But yeah, right? So <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. So the other thing with owning a home that's tricky for people is really all the expenses that you have to incur. I mean, I literally have met people who probably maxed themselves out on their mortgage, got the biggest house they could had it empty. And like when it was winter, you know, we're in the Northeast when it gets cold, we're like, Oh, we can't really put the heat on. Like, and to me, I'm like, what to me, I'm just like, why would you live in a big house and you're cold? Like, see, to me, home has to be comfort, right? It has to be, whether it's temperature, whether it's a soft place to sleep, like it's gotta be comfort or it's not the point of home to me, but that's obviously, this is why I'm passionate about what I do. So I, it jumbles my head, but I, I see this a lot or it's like, you know, it's really hot in the summer and we can't afford to run the central AC as much as we wanted to keep the house at the temperature we're comfortable in, you know, I mean, but there's other things like, you know, there's lawn, there's gutters, there's septic, there's heating and cooling. There's, I mean, there's plumbing issues that come up. There's so much involved in, in home ownership. And I think people don't necessarily budget that into their annual fixed expenses. Definitely. I talk with a lot of my clients will find when they're first starting out with budgeting that it's those annual expenses, whether that's specifically with the home or something else that not being budgeted for is kind of what implodes the budget. So we talk about saving for that every single, it boils down to every single month. So we rotate Mm -hmm. through different savings accounts that we have, but Mm -hmm. being aware of those expenses that are coming up. And Mm -hmm. sometimes when the budget's tight, Mm -hmm. we'll take the cheap way out so that we're trying to save money, Mm -hmm. but then we end up replacing something like you know, you buy the cheap weed eater and then it breaks six months later. So then you have to buy another one. So there is something to buying something that lasts and taking care of those things. And it really just needs to be a line item in your budget. That's like homeowner expenses. We have, we teach with our savings accounts. Like you have a designated homeowner savings account. So for those who don't have the home, it's typically saving for a down payment. And then once you have the home, it's planning for those expenses. Mm -hmm. And you might not spend it all the time because sometimes like those bigger expenses, like your roof having to be replaced doesn't come up every single year. Mm -hmm. But if you're continually adding to that fund, you're going to have what you need to, to take care of like, and the different seasons when things happen and making investments. A lot of times with the heating and the air conditioning, if you are running it and it's not effective, like windows and having good quality windows. So maybe Mm -hmm. you're just saving to get to that point, but have a designated place for it to go. Because if we just leave it in the checking account, or if we have one catch all savings account, it's going to get spent when you want to go take a vacation or something else comes up. 
Yeah. And I was going to say there's unexpected things that can happen. Like a pipe can burst. I had, um, I've been in this house like over 20 years and there was like a plumbing issue with one of the toilets. It was causing this slow leak literally over decades and it eroded the pipe. But Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden one day there was a bad leak, but it, it went through like the dining room ceiling. And so like things happen that you wouldn't anticipate, you know? And so having money set aside for the unanticipated things that go on and new homeowners, it happens like inspectors miss certain things. A a boiler can go all of a sudden you need a new boiler. That's expensive. Plumbing issues can be expensive. There could be electrical stuff. So yeah, it's just, you have to be prepared kind of on all fronts, (laughs) you know, just like anything else in life. Like when we talk about retirement and you and I were having a conversation about illness, illness can creep up unfortunately, and when we don't expect it. And as we all know, in the medical field, it's there, the bills are very high. Yeah. So again, it goes back to planning, planning, planning <laughs> as Basically. much as one can, as much as one can, but even planning for the unexpected, like having a, whether it's a rainy day fund or a unexpected expense fund, right? Do you do that with your, with people that you work with? Yes. So we have what we call the contingency fund, which a lot of people will call the emergency fund, but we don't want to plan for an emergency. We plan for a contingency. Okay. And then the homeowner savings account is a different fund as well. We talk about having different, um, there's probably like seven or eight different funds that we're saving towards. So if you're just starting out, start with a contingency fund and then what we call the annual expenses fund. And because we need to keep those separate, we don't want to spend our contingency fund on taking a vacation. Right. But it's important to have something to start off. Quick little pro tip, have that at a separate bank. It's one step away from like where you do your normal checking, but that one step will keep you from transferring the money over when you want to go out on a Saturday oh, night so type thing. Smart. <laughs> Takes like five seconds. I had a client, her name was Naomi, doing that alone. She saved $400 in six weeks. Like there was no income change. She just moved the savings account. That's a really smart tip. I like that. That's great. Yeah, because when it's so, especially with online banking now and our funds are so accessible to move around, if you have to like go into a whole other login or, yeah, I mean, that's great tip. I love that. So you've touched on so much that's great. Anything else you want to close the show with for any advice for couples or tips or anything regarding home ownership and finances, feel free. And then I'll have you let everybody know the best platforms to find you on. I think you also have a free guide too, we can mention. Yeah, definitely. So one last thing, I actually want to briefly mention insurance. And when you have homeowners insurance, especially, it is not one size fits all. So this Mm -hmm. is another area where we don't necessarily need to do like the bare minimum Mm. just to save money in the budget. There are people out there, my background is in insurance. This is actually one of the things I do for my membership members. Like I'll review it as a third party. Like I don't have any thing invested in which insurance policy you use and really knowing what these coverages are and what's covered and what's not covered. Because there's so many different policies out there that exclude a lot. So you can be saving a little bit there. But if basically anything happens outside of like, I don't know, maybe three, four things, like you're not going to be covered. And then we're, if you're doing that, at least we need to be knowledgeable. Like, okay, we're doing this now. So we have the coverage we need, but this is the game plan. Like we're going to switch it later to a better policy type thing. Yeah. That's a good example of where we think we're saving money. We're really not. Yep. It's almost 
sometimes when you save money in the end, it costs you more money. And there's a lot of things we can give examples of for that in life. And so that's a really good point, especially with home ownership. I think that's really good. Anything else? I think that's it. Okay. It was great having you. I would love for you to tell everybody about, I noticed you have a freebie and then the best platforms, website, whatever to find you on. That would be great, Amy. Yeah. I love hanging out on Instagram. I'm at Amy mm-hmm. Circa. That's where I'm probably there most frequently. And the website is amycirca.com. And then the free guide, it was the budget makeover guide that we were going to talk about. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. So yeah, the budget makeover guide is seven tips that my husband and I ourselves actually used to be able to find the extra that you already have hiding inside your bank account. You don't know it's there. The average couple finds $250 every single month or they uncover this $250 like every single month that they're able to save mm-hmm. in their finances just by going through the budget makeover guide. But you do have to actually go through it. So you can grab it, but I want you to go through it too. <laughs> okay, great. Do you have a mindset freebie as well or no? Yes, I do. Okay. You mentioned that one too. Yeah. So that is the money mindset mastery checklist. Mm-hmm. So that's 10 simple steps to create an unshakable money mindset. Like we talked about earlier, we all have those money mindset blocks. And the first step is becoming aware of those. Yeah, That checklist is designed to help you kind of become aware of what could be keeping you from achieving those financial goals that you're working towards. Yeah. And I think that's an important first step for everybody to do. Because like I said, I think that's at the root of all of it. Yeah. And it could be a situation like yourself where you had this belief for so long. And once you actually found out the truth, you're like, oh, wow. And then you see it everywhere. It was like, That's oh my so gosh, funny. like it's showing up here too. And then with my kids and then like, wow. <laughs> I love that. That's a good breakthrough. So we'll put all of this in the show notes. So for everybody listening, you can just click and it will take you right to all these links. And Amy's last name is spelled with a C. So it's Circa, but it's with a C. Yep. So I just wanted to mention that if they go to search you. This has been great. Thank you so much again. And I loved chatting with you. I really enjoyed it, Jill. Thank you. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks. All right. Bye. And as always, you're going to want to always head over to jillcalmanandtears.com. I've got a wonderful new freebie for you called the Room Planner. And most of the time that you're not getting your house decorated, it's because you don't have a plan in place. This helps you cover it all and get it in motion so you can accomplish your home design goals. Go grab it now. It's totally free. And my course is also still available on the website along with so much more. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Head over to jillcalmaninteriors.com to learn more about designing a beautiful new home while minimizing the stress of moving. See you back here next week.